I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode comes with a content warning and brushes up against topics that could be triggering for our audience. You'll find specific details in the show notes. Please take care when listening. Welcome to another episode of WA Exposé, a podcast about local arts by local artists. I'm your host, Aria Scarlett, with the immense privilege of recording this podcast on Wajak Noongar Budja. Photography has evolved beyond point and snap. The person behind the lens now doubles as a hype woman and therapist. The emotional labor of this task is taken on by today's guest in great stride. With over 15 years experience, she's been a pioneer developing spaces in body positivity, fat acceptance, neurodivergent advocacy, and most importantly, self-love. Honestly, the work speaks for itself, and I'm so excited to just jump straight into this conversation. Welcome, Shayla Taylor. Hello. Oh, my God. I wish everybody could see how, like, giant my smile got just then because hearing that is so heartwarming. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. It's just the truth. It's just where you already operate from. It's very, very easy to write stuff about good people. Oh, thank you. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's just like dive straight into this conversation I only have one question for you which is why photography um I first started to be interested in photography in high school and I really liked that it combined both sides of my brain I wanted to do art but I also wanted to do something that was sciencey and technical Mm. um and photography is like the beautiful combination of both of those things well especially at the time when I was learning film and digital. So I guess in some ways I was really fortunate to study photography at a time when there was a lot evolving happening. So I still got to learn the basics of film photography, but I was also learning digital editing techniques and how to use a digital camera, obviously. So I think that I first uh, got interested in photography in 2006 when I was around 15 years old um, at Mandra Senior College. Oh, I love <laughs> yeah. that. And they had a photography program just in their arts sector? or Yes, yeah, so photography was um, one of the subjects that you could take there. So I, when I was 15, I moved here from Queensland um, and I had done art there, but there was no photography mm. course. And um, I didn't know what the TEE system is or even if it's still used. And so I just picked subjects that I liked. I liked art. I liked human anatomy. I liked calculus and I liked photography. It was like a lovely bunch of stuff. Yeah, it was (laughs) really, really random. I've always been like a really creative person, but I also need technical knowledge to Mm. know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, And I feel like without that, I'm kind of free falling. And so I loved that photography combined both of those things. 
Yeah, and I was like a super goth teenager with like shaved off eyebrows and yeah. like um, was wearing like berserk clothing because when I first started at uh, Mandra Senior College, they didn't have a uniform and then like a couple of weeks after I started, they did. <laughs> oh, no. They just immediately were like, oh, oh no, no, they she's like, here. we gotta yeah. put, we got to put yeah. some like rules in place. Yeah, it was it was. Crazy, but yeah, I actually really enjoyed it as a school that we were kind of treated more as like TAFE students rather mm. than like little teenage kids. Um, yeah, and so that's where I studied photography. I learned both film and Photoshop. So yeah, that's going back 15, 16 years ago. So Photoshop may as well have been a hammer and chisel. On <laughs> <laughs> Finding something stuck in marble. Yeah, literally like just hammering away at somebody's face trying to make it smooth. You will not have bumps by the time I'm done. Yeah, and like uh, I had actually explains a lot about like early 2000s photographs too, like the uber um, smooth skin where it's like there is no texture. My texture is the same as the wall. Yes, yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and then I went on to TAFE where I studied um, an advanced diploma of photography and the same thing at TAFE, I would literally be developing film while they were demolishing the um, dark rooms around me. And wow. so it was It was a really transitional time. And the program that they had for the students wasn't accurate to where things were going with the industry. Yep. So there were a lot of complaints from the students to the lecturers saying, what you're teaching us is completely irrelevant to the future of photography. Yeah, and there's literally a boulder behind us and we're about to get squished. Yeah, yeah, and it was also a time when it was like your ability to edit your photos was the, like the caliber of your photography. Oh. So there was a, a real focus on like post-production as well. So like how much can you edit somebody? And I, I used to call that going to town on a photo. Like when mm. you when you were like, I am going to edit the fuck out of this photo and make it something brand new. There was a bit of a focus on that. And then um, there was still some people who wanted to preserve film. And for my last year, we got to pick like a major project. And I decided to do all of mine on large format film. So that is where the piece of film that you use is... Um, like I guess the size of your hand like that's what the photos actually recorded on so that is something that was like from the 1800s and I was like this is my last opportunity to be able to do this kind of work so I may as well yeah, why not and all through when I was studying photography I was taking like nudes of my friends and just trying to create the photos that uh, I really wanted to see um, but the way that we were taught to edit people and bodies there was a real focus on like editing the shit out of people like obliterating ah. them um that was the only thing that we were taught we weren't really taught to pair it back and um the editing that I kind of I still do now is called um I think hand editing so I think of it as applying makeup to people yeah so I'm using the colors that are already on their skin and I'm using a lot of brushes and I take a lot of time blending it and um, making it flow with them. But um, there are a lot of kind of automatic skin editing techniques, which is where you get that super like blown out skin nowadays. Ah. Um, And I don't like how that looks. So every person that I edit, it's like a custom edit for them. Yeah. And I'm deciding like how how, um, transparent are my brushes going to be? Like almost like when you're picking a foundation and you're going – do I want light coverage? Do I want full coverage? Like 
how am I going to edit this? And I also, I ask people what they want because some people want a full edit. I had somebody ask me for that the other day. She was like, I want my skin smooth and glowy. And I was like, one slippery dolphin coming right up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Okay. So is that... Mainly just um, based in the idea that you want people to still be able to see them in the photography mm. rather than just seeing like yeah. a beautiful image. And sometimes because the the ability for the camera to pick up like skin texture is more than what our eyes can actually see. And so sometimes it's like uh, I might have lit the photo to get a certain effect, but that might have created a texture on the skin that wasn't even visible yeah until I and so to me I'm trying to bring it up to like how I saw that person and um how if I if this was a photo of me how would I want to edit it because I used to edit people really heavily because I thought that that's what they wanted and then I had another photographer edit a photo of me and my chest literally looked like a piece of like white cardboard with a black line for cleavage oh wow and and I was really hurt by it Mm. And and then I sat with it and I thought, like, that's what she's assuming that I want um, and it doesn't feel good. So why am I assuming that about other people? And that's when I changed my approach to editing and my photography. Like, I wouldn't automatically assume people wanted their roles removed or to be made to look skinner or to thin their arms down. Like, that was just something that was very expected and very taught to us and now it's it's like it can be done but it's not necessary unless somebody wants it. So I'm all about it being like a, a person's choice, how they want their body to look. Yes, yeah. completely. I mean when you – because you have the ability to capture yourself a thousand times a day on your phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, it, there must be like a sort of point where you've got to balance the person who you see through the lens with the person you have to look at in the mirror every yes. single day. Yeah, and um, something that I talk to people about quite often is when the, when you're looking in the mirror, you're almost looking for flaws. You're like, what do I need to fix? Does yeah. this look good? Um, you know, is this sitting evenly? You know, you're kind of, you're looking for flaws. And sometimes when you have a photo shoot, what you're actually getting is seeing yourself through the eyes of somebody else and being seen with love. Like that's the, when I explain to other photographers, um, the work that I do, I'm I'm like I am pouring love into to the people that I'm working with because it's a it's a big energy exchange. It's and people can often think that photography is just clicking a button, but to me, it's all about how people leave with like the feelings that they have about themselves, about me, about the experience. That's everything to me, and the photos are kind of a bonus of that. But seeing yourself through the eyes of somebody who sees your best self that is the real empowerment and just seeing somebody with love and approaching their body with care and not not approaching with criticism because I've had photographers take photos of me where they're like oh that's not flattering or like oh you've got too many roles or like and so I just I'm such a like treat people how you'd want to be treated Mm -hmm. person yeah and when somebody is gifting you that experience they're gifting you um well, okay, I'm not going to wear as many clothes as I normally do for this photo shoot or it's a boudoir theme or whatever or they're dressed up to the nines and they put a lot of like attention and effort into the way they look for a photo shoot most of the time. 
to turn around and be like, that's incorrect yeah. would be would be like soul busting because yeah. like it's like this isn't even how I dress day to day. This is like my best effort. Because yeah, people always have the own blinkers of their beauty standards when they're viewing other people. And I have done a lot of internal work to remove those mm. and look at people through the like they are perfect exactly how they are. And I'm here to like guide them through this experience and create the most beautiful photo that reflects them yeah um so it's like I I have like a framework for how my photo shoots will go and I have like a whole comedy routine that I have (laughs) just for my photo shoots when I know that people are like nervous I'm like oh I gotta crack out the titanic material Everybody prepared. I love um, how comedians will say, like, I have a tight five. I'm like, I got a tight 30 minute photo shoot. (laughs) Because I can just sense when somebody's tensing up. Um, you can really see in their body, their mouth will shrink, their shoulders will come up. Mm. And then I'm like, okay, let's stop, let's stretch it out, let's like relax it a little bit because I want the photo shoot to be fun and for people to leave going, like, that was the best time I ever had. Because I've been in photo shoots where I felt freaking awful and like you know didn't leave loving myself and that's not the environment that I want to create for anybody who comes to me so you know when I say to people I'm a photographer I feel like it only encompasses like one little bit of what I do because there's so much more there's there's a huge energy exchange and the thing is when you photograph people in their underwear or nude they're extremely vulnerable and will often tell you the most traumatic thing that ever happened to them in their life straight off the bat. Yes. Yeah, yeah. this is what I was getting at in my introduction. You've got to be so much more yeah. than just a point and snap person. Now yes. you are almost in taking on the role of therapist, yeah. which isn't isn't something you should be burdened with, of course, like people's mm. experiences. But when you, unfortunately, with the standards we have placed upon people, especially in Western society, yeah. it becomes a really, really vulnerable position and yeah, they it, would just open up to you. It is. And that's like... Creating a safe space, like, you, you know, you have to be receptive to that and hold people, hold people's pain, but also be able to bring them joy at the mm-hmm. same time. It's a very careful balance because somebody might be in their 50s having a photo shoot with me and tell me something that they were teased about in kindergarten. And I'm like, they have wow. carried this around for 50 years and defined themselves by that. Yeah. And this photo shoot might be the turning point for them to finally be able to let that that criticism, that early definition of their body or their personality go. And I know how that feels because I was teased a lot as a kid. I was always a fat, weird kid. And um, I know how you can carry these little teased names as like these definitions of yourself and you have to actively choose to remove them from Mm. your self-identity. And it's, it's a lot of hard internal work. And sometimes people don't even know how to begin on that road. And a photo shoot might be the first stepping stone. Yeah, which is a pretty scary stepping stone too. Yeah, Um, definitely. Especially if you've been carrying around. I like the way you describe them as these little nuggets that you use as your self-descriptors. Yeah. Like for me, um, my dad, he called me Tubby like my whole life Mm. until I was 18 years old and like exploded and were like, stop calling me that. Yeah. Um, And so, uh, you know, it was like my my dad, the person who's supposed to love me, defined me as fat from like my youngest yeah. age. And so uh, that's always been my identity. So I was always tubby to him. And, um, 
yeah, you do, you start to carry that around and I was called bossy and I was called weird and, you know, all those sort of things and now they're kind of like my badges of honour and I love, it's like, I think of like Tyrion from Game of Thrones when he's like, take what people say about you and wear it like your armour, cloak yourself in it because if you're strong in it and stand in power, nobody can use that to hurt you. So if somebody calls me fat now, I'm like, okay, cool, you have vision. Like... (laughs) Like, did you think that was going to hurt my feelings? Yeah. <laughs> so because it's not, it's not a descriptor on how somebody is, if they're a good or a bad person. Yeah. It's just a word. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a word. And I spent a lot of time, like, breaking the word fat down into what I felt that it meant. So, to me, fat meant lazy, slovenly, doesn't care about themselves, disgusting, smelly. I broke it down into all of those things mm. and realised what I was making a three-letter word mean about me. Yeah. And then once I was like, well, the evidence shows I'm not lazy and I do work hard and I, you know, I can be all of these things and still fat and that doesn't make me any lesser. But a lot of people, you know, they might not have been able to dismantle their fat phobia or might like it's a constant work, but they might not have started on that footpath then. So when somebody like me is like, hey, I'm fat and my body is worthy and beautiful. They're Mm. like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not ready for this right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I've, I worked in plus size fashion for so long. And when I was in change rooms with people and they would be, you know, criticizing their bodies, they're like, I'm so fat, so gross. Sorry, you have to touch me. Sorry, you have to help me. Um, it's, it's very much the same in photo shoots and, um, it's like not saying, no, you're not any of those things and going, well, I know that you feel that way, but what if we could change that? Like, what if we could change how you're talking to yourself? And, um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, fulfilling work. I was working somewhere where I was doing quite, um, a lot of photo shoots a day. So I might photograph five or six women and, and it was like, I felt like by the time I got to the last lady, I was like scraping the bottom of my little barrel yes. like because I just want to pour love into people. And, mm. and But then it was like the more love I showed myself, the more love I was able to give to my clients and realize that I wanted to spend much more one-on-one time connecting with them and them not just be a number. Like I never want my clients to be somebody that I'm just churning out and that I can't even Completely. remember their name. Yeah. Because um, it got to the point where I could remember people's butts better than their faces. <laughs> and um, I wanted, I always want to give my best yeah. to them. So I, I never just want to like cram people in. I want it to be a very tailored experience for them. Wow. Okay. Um, this seems like a lot of emotional labor (laughs) that you're having to take on in your role as well, which is like, it's incredible that you're doing that. How do you, this might be too much of a question. How do you protect yourself in those spaces so that you're still okay? So you can photograph the next person who comes in. Yeah. So I see a really great trauma therapist. Her name's Holly Loxton and she's here in Perth. And because I had gone to counseling for years, I'd worked through my like relationship with food, my relationship with myself, um, but I just, I would always look at like the timer when you go to counseling and it's like an hour and I'd be like, I'm not even going to scratch the surface cause I love to talk. <laughs> and then, um, I found Holly and I think my first session with her was three hours and it felt so like cleansing. Yeah. And, um, I see her like maybe like once a month now and, um, 
she's helped me so much and like the last year or 18 months of my life have been a time of like really extreme transformation so I decided to leave the job that I was in and then I also decided to leave my marriage within a few months of each other and it was and it was about like what do I really want in my life? Like, why am I being pulled in the direction that I don't actually want to go? And just acknowledging that, like, the things that I want in my own heart are completely valid. Because when you are online, when you're posting on social media, people want to treat you as vain and self-obsessed. And instead of saying, she really wants to reach people, she really wants to get her message out there, she feels a need to connect with an audience people automatically want to assume that you just are attention seeking and like and so I believed those things about myself so I held myself back and and um about a year ago I just decided to go like balls to the wall all in and all in on myself and um it's really hard to get to that point but it's been so so worth it because I feel like the emotional growth that I've been through has just been like so cleansing and so beautiful and like Um, whereas like when I was in situations in my life where I felt really miserable, it was really hard to have that emotional space for others and I wanted to help them, but I literally like felt empty, not, and like, yeah, like I said before, like scraping my little love barrel, trying to get them any, any little bits. And cause I'm a mom of two, um, kids there, uh, my son's autistic and he also has ADHD and other developmental delays. My daughter's now being assessed for um, autism as well. So it's they need a lot of one-on-one care. Mm. And even as they get older, it's still a very physically demanding thing. And just learning to like look after me and show me love yeah. and and slow my life down and just acknowledge that I need rest. Because as a fat person, I felt this drive to prove to everybody that I wasn't lazy. Like I wasn't any fat stereotypes. So I felt like I was working three times as hard as everybody else, like pushing myself to the absolute bone. And then I got to the point where I was so ill because I'd pushed myself so hard, trying to prove something to everybody else but really what I needed to was like love myself and not be so hard on myself because I felt like I was like a horse like I was whipping myself like (laughs) churn out these amazing photos all the time Shayla that's the only thing that you're good for and when really it was like the more love that I gave myself the more creative I was and then my 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 ideas and my work just like flourished so much more than that and I know so many people in my life who really struggle to give themselves that space and that self-love and it's it's hard and I don't know if I would have been able to do it younger but there's something about going into your early 30s where you're like all right the rest of my life is really (laughs) starting now and like am I happy yes completely I actually wanted to thank you for for mentioning that it wasn't easy because so many times we go like okay we have to dismantle our own internalized misogyny we have to dismantle our own um, fat, internalized fat phobia that, that everybody has. And you have to go through this incredible journey mm. of dismantling all these sections about you um, and just like acknowledging that it is hard work. And when and also acknowledging like you did perfectly then when you are going through this process, dismantling all this stuff inside of you and actually doing the work on yourself, shockingly you'll turn around and probably make some pretty big changes in your life because you go, oh, I was only doing this because I was living up to an yeah. expectation that I had to. Yeah, exactly. Like I I read a lot about like um, what's the word for it? Uh, performative uh, – compulsory heterosexuality. That's what I read a lot about. Yep. Um, so that was like em- acknowledging and embracing my queerness and not um, 
thinking, oh, I'm married to a man, so I need to suppress that part of myself. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we've gone way off photography now, but it all ties it in. It all because, ties in. <laughs> because it's, it's about, um, it's like an umbrella of work that I do. So people follow me to see like my anti-diet culture stuff and to, sh- to hear my story and like to um, sometimes people have never had a photo shoot with me and they might be on the other side of the world and I get messages from them like I feel better about myself because of following you and that is like oh everything it means the world to me and like you know people who I would look at them and be like how could you feel bad about yourself you're like a freaking walking goddess and they're like <laughs> I actually, you know, hated how I look and like just seeing somebody out here going like I love me and you can love you too. That's a big thing. And also raising two kids, it makes you really confront all of your bullshit in your heart. Yes. You like you realize yeah. like raising autistic children especially like my son, um he does not understand gender. And so, you know, he would come up to me and be like, how do I know when somebody's a boy? And at first I'd be like, um, this is a few years ago, I'd be like, well, boys have a penis. And then I'm like, well, he can't see his friend's penises in kindergarten. Like, yeah. he, I don't want him to go like, pull down your pants and show me your penis. So I, <laughs> so I know how to identify yeah. you. <laughs> and because he's got long hair, people would assume he's a girl. And and he would be like, why do people think that I'm a girl because my hair's long? And I'm like, you know, people would say to him, are you a boy or a girl? And he would just say his name. He's like, I'm my name. Like, yeah. why are you? And then I was like, why are people so invested in the genitals of my child? Like, yeah. there was, and it really made me assess my, like, internalized misogyny because I was like, in stuff that I didn't even know that I had. Yeah. And then realizing, like, that. When I'm parenting him, I'm also parenting myself. And that's a really hard um, thing to come to terms with because when um, you have a hurt like in a child um, and you're parenting your kids, you're you're talking to yourself as well. And when you weren't raised in like a loving environment, that's – it's really, really rough and emotionally hard work. <laughs> yeah, and then suddenly you're readdressing conversations that you had with your child in the past being like, I know we talked about this three years ago, but I've got a new answer and it's actually genitals have got nothing to do with your yes. gender and now we have to have a different yes. chat. So now I say to him, you just ask people, you yeah. know, and if people don't know if you're a boy or a girl, you say, I'm this. Like it doesn't matter. And, um, you know, when they're watching a TV show, they might say, well, my daughter might say, I'm the girl and you're the boy character. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's about who you like, who you connect with. Mm. Like, you don't have to go, I'm the girl, so I have to be the girl character. That's not how any of this works. Yeah, we used to have the same thing in my household where, like, we'd listen to music and it would be like, well, you can't sing that song because it's sung by a, a boy. And like, well, you can't like that song because it's sung by a girl. And I like all of girl music. And you like all boy music. And all girl music is inherently sung by girls. And it was like this really strange yeah. split down the middle, which makes absolutely no sense at oh, all. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, music is such an amazing thing, especially with, like, children and how they see themselves and how they express their bodies. I love, my, like, my son, I feel like music is like his kryptonite. Ooh. So when I play music for him, it's literally like it takes over his body. And he's like, Mom, it's happening again. And he's, like, dancing. And, like, he's like, Mom, look. I love that music is something that happens to your kids. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. And, and you know, parenting him, 
I used to be like very women only spaces because I had a lot of problems with men and I don't feel safe around them and it's still something that I work through at the moment but then I'd see my beautiful child and because people assume he's a girl he experiences misogyny and then I realized I wanted spaces that were more about people who had suffered from misogyny and patriarchy so that's when I started to like open myself up to um learning about non-binary spaces and not just women only, only women, you know, to keep us safe. But that is inherently a disadvantage. And when people assume that non-binary people are like woman light, I love that term. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm still a woman, but not really. I love the, um, you know, when you're talking about like they, them pronouns, it's like, think of them as like a swarm of bees. (laughs) And, and my, um, you know, my kids might go on to change their gender identity. And like, to me, that's because that's totally fine because their, their expression of themselves is so incredibly vast Mm. and how could I confine them in any way? And I, I thought about like how I don't want my son to be excluded from these spaces because he, you know, he's, he's only little, but he's clearly queer and a lot of queer people knew from a really young age. And um, it's only people who want them to suppress that that will actually get upset about it. Yeah. And for me, it's like he identifies as a boy at the moment, but if it, if that changes, fucking great. Yeah. Like I'm excited for that. <laughs> and if it doesn't happen, great, because I love his name. But if he wants to change it, I think of his name is like a gift that I gave him. Yeah. And if it doesn't fit anymore, it doesn't fit. And the same with my daughter. Like it's, I have like a son who wears dresses and he's really flamboyant and loud and loves to sing and dance. And then I have like a daughter who's like a, for lack of a better word, a tomboy. She's mm. a, she's a shirts and shorts girl. Like she loves to build. She loves to play with cars and trucks and like, um, but she's got like these Goldilocks curls. <laughs> <laughs> so people think that she's a sweet angel and she is the supreme overlord of my life. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think about like what world do I want my children to grow up in? And then I I pour that energy into the work that I do. I love that as a question. And I think that it's a really good question to hang people up with while we take a quick ad break <laughs> and let me have a drink of water because I need that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome 
welcome back. I'm still joined with the incredible Shayla Taylor. And before we went to break, I think we were talking about your experience having to just like emotionally, emotionally labor, uh, put out a lot of emotional labor into the universe, both at the, in the world of photography and obviously at home yeah. um, and how you create spaces for yourself, which is really good to hear that you're like able to do that and also dismantling and all that stuff. But everybody who's listening to this already knows because they just heard it. <laughs> um, so I love how I'm doing a recap of, <laughs> a recap of bullshit like halfway through. Um, but I did want to ask about the local art scene in Perth because, of course, you're automatically embedded into it yeah. um, just from the other side of the lens. What do you see in the local art scene in Perth and what would you like to improve upon? For me, I like Perth is like a melting pot of incredible talent and I feel like we're very hard on ourselves mm. because a lot of people are like but I need to move to Melbourne to make it or I need to move to oh Sydney God, yeah. or London to make it but I feel like we're very unique here um I actually I know another photographer in Scotland and her and I do almost identical work but on opposite sides of the world yeah and we would have zoom calls and stuff and she was giving me some Instagram advice and she was saying to me I don't I don't understand why you photograph burlesque performers um, when you're you're more of like a boudoir body empowerment photographer. Mm. And I was like, that's bizarre. And then I was like, well, I don't know what burlesque is like over there, but here is for everybody. Yeah. You know, so it's it's super inclusive. It's a really loving community. I love going to events and looking out into a crowd of people and seeing hundreds of people that I've photographed, everybody on the stage I've photographed. Like to me that is like, oh, I love it so much. It's a room full of my people. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Because um, I've always felt like a like a weird outsider. Like I, I wrote a post about this recently, like feeling like, a, um, like I'm standing on the outside of a group and I want to participate but I don't know how. Mm. And um, I love that this is how I get to participate with performers because – uh, people see me as like a really loud, extroverted person. I see myself as an introvert. <laughs> Two completely different points of view. Yeah. But I have so much respect for performers. I know how hard they work, how much goes on behind the scene, how brave they are to take their clothes off on a stage. Like there could be crickets and you like – that could be emotionally devastating, but there never is because they, Perth is yeah. great. <laughs> if there was ever crickets to somebody showing tits on stage, I would be so offended. Yeah. Well, I mean, some performers, it's like I've talked to a couple of them about it where they're doing such a soulful, slow, meaningful piece and the silence is almost louder than the applause because they've got mm. that audience there entranced yeah. that nobody's even taking a breath because they're so like – Oh my God. And so much of me wants to scream for them to show my appreciation, but also know that they've carefully like curated the the space in that room and they have it in their hand. Yeah. And, you know, that silence is a part of that pre appreciation for their craft. For and sure. I, I just love that when that happens. It's it's I have goosebumps thinking about it. Like I think about somebody like Betty Bombshell who can do that. She can make that crowd go wild and she can keep them in complete silence with her movements if she wants to and um there's so many incredible performers in Perth like I feel like we have like world-class drag performers yeah. world-class burlesque performers and there is that like there's that Perth culture of I need to I need to get out of here to make it mm -hmm. um and I don't feel like that that's necessarily the case yeah because 
we have a super inclusive, loving, supportive community and any and there was like a little mini revolution here in Perth, which I'm sure other people have spoken um, to a little bit more, where um, some members of like the drag and blessed community were called out for racism and that created like um, a little revolution here and the people that came forward out of that are beautiful people of colour, queer, trans and they're the leaders of this community mm. and I feel like in some other cities that wouldn't have happened but I feel like here in Perth, in Wallu, we decided we are going to fucking change this. Yeah. And, um, and that wasn't with like violence, it was with celebrating those that deserve to be celebrated and deserve to have the spotlight on them. So to me that's people like Serenity Von Vada, that's Denise Snake, that's so many incredible BIPOC uh, performers and creators here in Perth getting the recognition that they absolutely deserve. Completely, yeah. Yeah, and that, um, you know, the welcoming environment that they create and it just adds to that beautiful community yeah. feeling. Like there's a lot of blending of burlesque and drag here in Perth. And mm. I think that's because we literally have two venues. So. <laughs> <laughs> it gets to be like that. I was also thinking that it's probably one of the only examples, well, only really strong examples of the time where us being so isolated over the past couple of years has been in our favour because we didn't have any choice but to invest in local mm. arts, which I think is really good because we're so much a culture and a people who before this time was were like, oh, great, I'll spend hundreds of dollars on a ticket to an international or an interstate show that's finally coming here, mm. but I don't want to spend $10 to go and see a local show. Yes. Um, so we, we were forced to invest in local arts, which, of course, is a good thing. And then when we did, we went, ah, this needs a shake-up, and then we had to yes. do it because we had no other choice. Yes, exactly, and the, and that the people here are super fucking talented and yeah. because they have to be, like – when we're the most isolated city in the world, we have to be creating things that you don't see anywhere else. Yeah. And we're lucky that we have the internet as like the lifeline to other people. But yeah, our state was literally shut down for so long. And it's almost like we just really flourished in that time. People's creativity could really flow. Um, even though it was really freaking tough for a lot of us mm. to make an income and to survive. I felt like I had like an explosion of ideas and like figuring out how I'm going to do them was the more <laughs> difficult part. And I still feel like that now. I have so many ideas for photo shoots all the time. And I also, um, I, there's a lot of education I want to do with other photographers, especially around talking to people in larger bodies because I'm in all these like photography groups, like photography business, photography posing groups, and I constantly see people post oh, a plus-size woman has booked a photo shoot with me. How do I pose her? And I'm like, one, you don't need to approach our bodies with fear. Mm. Um, and two, treat us with respect. And, like, the the advice will be, like, just take photos of her face. That's all she wants. She won't want photos of her entire body. And for me, I just push back against that as hard as I can. And that's why I share my own body and the bodies of my clients. And I would never ask my clients to do any anything in a photo shoot that I wouldn't do. Yeah. And the idea that um, that you wouldn't just ask somebody what they want. Yes. As well. Like you would just go, oh, I'm the photographer and I know best and you wouldn't want to look at your body when it's just like, well, yes. does, 
ask me. Yes. Ask like, me. I ask people, like, do you have a face of, like, a face of the side, a side <laughs> of your face that you prefer? Because often people will take selfies from one side of their face and they're like, don't even look at that other side. I hate it. <laughs> and I'm like, both sides are equally great. Um, and, yeah, there's little preferences like that that can make all the difference. And um, I just see how much fear there is around uh, actually talking to people in larger bodies. Mm about what they can do physically and how they feel about their bodies. And so there's a lot of education that I want to create for other photographers about how to create a safe space because the amount of clients that I have that come to me because they had a bad experience with another photographer, Mm -hmm. it's like over, I'd say 60% of them because they might have booked a photo shoot with a male photographer who made them feel uncomfortable or somebody else who like shamed their body in some way and um some of them are just plain predators like they're uh, like I get a lot of shit for saying like there is a reason that most of the photographers who photograph teenage models are men in their like 50s and 60s because women our age do not want to work with them and so that's where they end up going where the it's not the model's choice who she's actually working with don't want to work with the teenage models or don't want to work with the men like the teenagers, they're just like the agency signs them to the photographer. Ah, so they don't have a choice. Right. So they just turn up for their their photos. And, um, you know, then the, the, the male photographer, they don't have to actually um, know how to pose them. They don't have to work with a variety of bodies um, and genders. Like it's just really like skinny um, teenage girl. Like it, they always kind of end up there's like a, it, there's a funnel that leads them straight there. And, I, and I'm like, why am I the only one seeing this? <laughs> yeah. And especially in Perth, like I feel like because, you know, adult women are going, I had a bad experience with them. They'll tell their friends not to go work with them and yep. then they'll, they'll go find spaces that are better for them. And, um, but when you're a teenager, you don't have that protection. You don't, you're just assigned your agencies like, Hey, go get your modeling shots done here at this studio. And you're assigned a photographer and they don't have to give direction and they don't pose you in like, they're literally just there clicking a button, doing the least amount of work because they don't want to have to provide that emotional labor. And I'm not saying that it's all male photographers. I know a lot of male photographers who work very hard at creating a safe space for their clients and are going, you know, I'd, I want them to feel as safe and as comfortable as possible. So yeah. how can I do that? And so that's why I am I'm want to create this education because maybe they never worked in a change room like I did and really learn how vulnerable people are in, in, yeah. in those states and especially when somebody's taking your photo. Because even now when somebody points a camera at me, I still am immediately like, oh, I don't know what to do. And like... <laughs> I forget everything that I know and yep. and I have to tell myself like it's okay to have your photo taken Shayla like you, you know you know a lot about your body but it's about feeling like safe and and that's the most important thing with any photo situation whether you're clothed or unclothed the safer you feel the better the photos are going to be yeah and it, it, there's a a drive that I think because we've all got camera phones and all that sort of thing where it's just like well you should automatically feel comfortable but the effort that you're putting into still creating a place where people can feel extra comfortable, it can be like, yeah. yes, you're not in control of this exact moment, but your power is still yours. 
Yeah, exactly. And like your body belongs to you and nobody else. And often I do get people come to me for photo shoots where they, their power around their body might have been taken away from them in some way. So they might have been through a sexual assault. They might have been like heavily bullied about how they look. They might not feel like their body belongs to them. They could have gone through a traumatic childbirth, something like that, where they feel like they lost power over our body, over their bodies. And the thing when we lose power over our bodies is that we often will turn on them. So that, you know, when people get into that, like, okay, I'm starting a diet on Monday, I'm restricting, I'm working out, that is going, I feel out of control of something in my life. And the thing that I feel like I should be able to control is my body. So I'm going to punish it into submission. Yeah. And um, that's why I like, I made a little video a while ago. Like imagine if we treated our bodies the same way we treated plants, because when you, when you have a plant at home, um, you know, that starts to wilt, you're like, Oh, is it not getting enough sun? Am I not watering enough? Mm. You know, that sort of thing. And you're, Whereas like you never you never punish your plan, be like, well, fuck you, I'm putting you in the dark until you grow and look exactly how I want you to. But that's how we treat our body. I will surround you by plant books. Yeah. You're going to look like these plants, whether it kills you or not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, but we do that to our bodies. We'll, yes. we'll deprive them of nutrients. We'll deprive them of fun and joy and um, work them, you know, feel like we need to exercise them constantly and stuff. And, and it's like, imagine if uh, we said to ourselves like, hey, you're wilting a little bit. What do I need to do to look mm-hmm. after you? And that is what self-love really is. And I wish people, um, you know, could absorb that message a little bit more and um, treat themselves with that same sort of love because then everything in life becomes so much easier. <laughs> I really love that way of describing it and that way of putting it towards people. And just a little, just to go a little bit further on that, and that's currently the space that you're trying to work in in the future is create, is like teaching people more. That's like the goal yeah, for you. Yeah, I was really fortunate to be asked to teach at like a photographer's workshop and it really, really lit me up because I love talking, obviously. Um, and <laughs> I've had a great time just yeah. hanging out. <laughs> and I, I love talking to like a group of people and sharing my experiences, sharing my knowledge. That's what really like drives me. And I'm lucky I have a really great business mentor, Amy Triscari, and she um, she said to me once, like, uh, instead of seeing yourself as like a workhorse, like somebody you need to push and push and push to get results, see yourself as a lighthouse. You're sharing your light and the people who are looking for it will find it. And so wow. that's how I treat myself now. So when I feel like I'm not productive enough or I'm not working hard enough or I'm not, you know pushing myself in this like patriarchal um, capitalist like way, I'll say, you know, I'm a lighthouse and I just need to keep shining my light because I feel really called to speak and to share. And I've had a lot of people in my life shame me for that and say, I'm like, yeah, like I said earlier, attention seeking or, you know, that sort of stuff. But I ignored that voice inside of me for so long and I I chose a year ago to stop ignoring her. Absolutely. She's out now. (laughs) (laughs) Out and being a lighthouse for everybody. Well, I think that that is unfortunately where we're going to have to leave things today. But as the beautiful lighthouse that you are, let everyone know where exactly they can find your beacon of light. Oh, so you can find I'm most active on Instagram. 
Um, I'm always there on my stories. Um, <laughs> so that's Shayla with a C-H dot photographer. And then I'm on TikTok as Shayla the photographer and also shaylataylor.com.au is my website. And, yeah, you can book a photo shoot with me and have all the fun. Have all of the fun. Experience this incredible emotional <laughs> labour in the safe space that, that you have to offer. All of those links will be in the show notes for people who want to look you up or book a photo shoot Yay. with you. And I can't thank you enough for being on oh my God, Expose thank you. Yay! I love it. Oh Sorry, I had to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. We allow for breathing here. <laughs> It's it's more like I have to tell myself like pause. <laughs> WA Expose is an independent production. Our artwork was created by Georgia Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlet and M Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlet.com forward slash WA Expose. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.